Good afternoon, and thank you for coming back. I know that we lost an hour of sleep last night, so I hope you won't catch up this hour. <laughs> and I would imagine that's probably on your mind right now, trying to get a nap. And we'll get you home and get you reclined very, very quickly. We're going to be looking in our study today at Isaiah chapter 40. And we were going to be looking at this lesson this morning. However, due to circumstances beyond our control with Miss Connie, we're grateful that her condition is stable and we want to keep her in our prayers. But we'll come back and look at Isaiah chapter 40 in our study together today. I want to begin our lesson by asking you a question. How patient are you in life? Would you consider yourself a patient person? Do you enjoy sitting in traffic? What about at the doctor's office? You've got an appointment at 10. You don't see the doctor till noon. Does that rub you the wrong way? You know, there are a lot of things that try our patience. One of the most difficult lessons I believe to learn in life is to learn to wait on the Lord. In our lesson today, we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 40. The book of Isaiah has been called a miniature Bible. There are 66 chapters in this great book. The first 35 chapters... Isaiah talks about the impending judgment that will fall upon the northern kingdom, that being Israel, then later the southern kingdom, Judah, as well as surrounding nations. In chapters 36 through 39, Isaiah deals with some problems that the great king Hezekiah faced in his life. And then in chapters 40 through 66, the prophet, through the eyes of prophecy, points to that time when the children of Israel will be carried into captivity and ultimately return. But the emphasis on chapters 40 through 66 is that of comfort. To understand that the Lord, despite where they are, that the Lord is still powerful, He's still on His throne, He is still in control, and He's with them. And ultimately, they would return some 70 years later. And so with that in mind, I want us to look at Isaiah chapter 40. The first thing that I want to talk about for a moment or two, let me just give you a brief context of chapter 40. First, there's what I would call the prophecy of the Lord, or the prophecy of God. And what Isaiah does begins with the word comfort. He said, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received from the Lord from the Lord's hand, double for all her sins. Beginning in verse 3, the prophet now looks down into the distant time when John the Baptist, the forerunner to the Christ, would emerge on the scene. 
And then he also announces the coming of Jesus and the gospel system. So just very quickly, look at verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now couched in this verse and the other verses, we have a reference to the deity of the Christ who was to come. That is the second member of the Godhead. In verse 4 he said, Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. Now look at verse 5. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So Isaiah writing some 750 years prior to the coming of the Christ, and the forerunner, that being John the Immerser or John the Baptist, Isaiah is vividly describing the work of the one who would prepare the way of Jesus. But then there is a second thought I want to share with you. First, the prophecy of the Lord, but then secondly, the power of the Lord, or the power of Almighty God. Now, one of the things that Isaiah does is references the creative power of Almighty God. And really, he lends insight into the majesty and might of the Lord. Look at verse 21. He asks, Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is He who sits above the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings the princesses to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. Now, drop down look at verse 27. In verse 27, again, why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my just claim is passed over by my God. Then he asked a series of questions. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, He increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. Now we're ready for our specific verse of study. Let's just think for a moment or two about the promise of the Lord, or the promise of God. With that in mind, I want you to look at verse 31, a very familiar passage of Scripture. The prophet said, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. First thing that I want to do is just very quickly give you the literal definition of that word wait. It means to bind together or twist together cords or strands 
Now you could think about an individual cord or strand of rope. The idea here is, though, taking several strands of cord or rope and binding and weaving those things together so you have a rock-solid rope. When that rope is needed, when strength is needed from that rope, it can be accessed. Now, there's another meaning couched in here, a more figurative meaning. And the idea is that those who wait on the Lord do so with expectant anticipation. In other words, there is this sense of expectant hope that God will act on behalf of His people. In looking at Isaiah chapter 40, he talks about that eagle that soars. Did you know that an eagle can rise to some 10,000 feet? It's amazing, isn't it? I read that an eagle can fly up to 100 miles an hour or so. So the picture is that of an eagle ascending. And I can't help but think about God's people in the midst of difficult circumstances and problems in life in a figurative way, ascending high above those clouds of darkness that are hovering. First, we think about an examination of this text, but now what I want to do is make some application. Because I think that this verse, this passage, is rich in meaning. So as you contemplate the various trials and difficulties that come our way on a daily basis. And there are a lot of things that happen to us. There are some things that are a result of our own doing. In other words, we create our own problems. But then there are circumstances many times that are beyond our control. We have no control over their coming our way. We do know that life is filled with problems and trials. You remember Job said, man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Trouble and trial, a natural part of life. So here's the first thought. I want to share with you some key words. Number one, I want you to think about perspective. When you face trouble and trial in this life, let's just say that the bottom has fallen out, and you feel like you are in a complete nosedive, a spiral, what's your perspective? When you face the difficulties and trials of life, do those trials tend to make you bitter or better? Do you remember what James said in James chapter 1? Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. I've said before, and I want to just reemphasize this point. I do not believe that James is saying when we are in the middle of a crisis in this life, and the bottom's fallen out and we're dealing with all kinds of problems. I don't think that he's saying that we relish those moments. But rather, once we get on the other side of the storm of the difficulties of life, then we can look back and say, okay, what was it I learned from that? And no doubt one of the things that is brought about by the trials of life would be patience. And we'll talk about that in a moment. But what's your perspective? Look at the life of Job. 
You remember in chapter 1, Job was an upright man. He feared God, turned away from evil. Job had a large household, a lot of servants. He was a wealthy man. And yet, in a very short period of time, he lost his family and he lost his wealth, a great deal of his wealth. He would later lose his own health and the support of his wife. But you remember down in the latter part of chapter 1, the Bible says that Job, in the face of all those difficulties, said, Naked came I into this world, and naked shall I depart. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now listen to what is said following that verse. In all this Job sinned not with his lips. Could he have cursed Almighty God? Could he have grown bitter? Could he have shaken his fist in the face of God and asked, why have you done this to me? I don't think it's wrong to ask why. Jesus asked that question on the cross, didn't he? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So perspective. Job had a lot of questions. and God gave him the opportunity to see something about himself. And not just something about himself, but also something about the nature of Almighty God. But you remember Job said in chapter 13, verse 15, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. I think that's a key verse. So number one, perspective. Number two, patience. Isaiah said, but those who wait on the Lord. How good are you at waiting on the Lord? Have you learned to wait on the Lord? Again, look at James chapter 1. James said, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the trying of your faith works what? Patience. Paul would write in Romans chapter 5, tribulation works patience or perseverance. Perseverance or patience leads to character and character hope. Developing character is not easy, is it? When you see those guys out on the football field in August and it's 100 plus degrees, and they're pushing one another around and hitting one another. You think they enjoy that? Well, what are they developing? Character. Stamina, fortitude. All right, so there is the need for patience, and patience is developed in the black room of trouble and trial in the dark room of trouble and trial. Sometimes it takes a long time to develop patience. Now in James chapter 5, verse 11, James said, You have heard of the patience or perseverance of Job and seen the end intended by the Lord, that he is compassionate and full of mercy. You think Job learned something about himself? Yes, yes sir, yes ma'am. You think he learned something about Almighty God? I think so. So number one, perspective. 
Number two, patience. Are we willing to allow God to develop within us that persevering spirit? Now there's a third key word I want to share with you, and it has to do with prayer. I want to just call your attention back to the first part of chapter 40. And listen again to what the prophet said, beginning in verse 3. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked places shall be made straight, and the rough places smooth. Now again, who was Isaiah talking about? Well, he's talking about John, the forerunner to Jesus. That being said, let's turn over to the book of Luke in chapter 1. I want you to see something. And as you're turning over to Luke chapter 1, I want to ask you a question. When your life seems to be unraveling and things are going awry and things are not necessarily stacking up as maybe you envisioned, well, let's say that you've done everything within your power to try to live the right kind of life. You've tried, to be, you've tried to be a humble servant of God. You've done everything that you know to do to please Him. But trials come, difficulties come. In the midst of those difficulties, you begin praying to Almighty God. Do you remember... David, for example, said, Evening, morning, and noon will I pray and cry aloud. Or Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 would say, Pray without ceasing. Or Jesus in the garden. You remember in Luke 22? The Bible says, Being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. The Hebrew writer said that he offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard in that he feared. So here's my question. How many times in your life have you prayed to God about a very difficult circumstance or situation in your life? And daily, maybe numerous times throughout the day, you have gone and laid that at the foot of God. You have prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And you wonder, is God listening? Do you ever question, does God hear my prayers? Is God really in tune with what I'm facing? I mean, does He understand? I've been praying about this every single day, month in, month out. No change. Does that mean God doesn't hear us? Remember what Peter said? The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and His ears under their supplications. In other words, the Lord hears our prayers. But are there not times when we struggle with the question, is God really listening to me? Is God helping me through this difficult circumstance? Now I want you to think about something for a minute, and then we're going to read a verse. Delayed response to prayer does not mean that God is not listening. 
I'm going to say that again. Delayed response to our prayers does not mean that God does not care. Nor does it mean that He will not answer us. It doesn't mean complete, absolute silence. That in mind, I want you to look at Luke chapter 1 now. And note if you would, beginning in verse 5, Luke speaks of a priest by the name of Zacharias. His wife was named Elizabeth. Look at verse 6. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Now note verse 7. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. That would have been quite an honor. My understanding is that when priests had the opportunity to burn incense, that was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And so here's... Here is Zacharias, he's in the temple, burning incense, and the Bible says the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. Now look at verse 11. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But look at verse 13. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. All right, here's my question. How long do you think Elizabeth and John, how long do you think they were on their hands and knees praying to God for a child? You think they prayed fervently for a child? I mean, imagine if you can, you want a child, but you don't have that physical ability to bring a child into the world. And so here are two people, they're praying. I can just imagine praying every single day, God, please send us a child, please send us a child. And now they're much older, advanced in years, beyond the scope of childbearing? You think they had given up? Think they thought, well, no answer. All right, here's my question. Did God forget what they had prayed? Did He remember? Look again at what the text says. Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Just because God doesn't answer our, our prayers in the time period that we think He ought to respond does not mean that He's not listening. And does not mean that He's not working behind the scenes to bring about what we've been praying about. You ever thought about that? You know, sometimes we wring our hands and we say, you know what, God's, 
God's not listening to me. I don't see any activity. Let me assure you, God is still on His throne. The psalmist said, the Lord reigns. So, here are two people, they're praying to God. And their trust is in God. God answered that prayer, didn't He? Did they have to learn to wait on the Lord? As a child of God, our cord of strength is tied to whom? To the Lord, isn't it? Do we genuinely trust that God will always do what's right? Isn't that the question that Abraham asked in the long ago? Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Sure he'll do right. So there's another thought here. Another key word. It's called peace. Now I want to direct your attention to the book of Isaiah chapter 26 now. I want you to see something in connection with what we're talking about. I would encourage you to maybe make a notation beside Isaiah chapter 40, or you might want to write Isaiah chapter 40 out to the side of chapter 26, beginning in verse 3. Now listen to what Isaiah said. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because he trusts in you. What the prophet's saying is, that our minds are focused on God. Our trust is rooted in God. And because my trust is rooted in God, I can have that perfect peace that he talks about. Well, how's that the case? The answer lies in the fact that we trust that whatever God says... Whatever God brings about in our life will be right. Are there times when God tells me, no, sure. But it might be the case that God knows far more than I know. Well, the fact of the matter is He does. But it might be the case that what I'm asking for, I do not need. Maybe God realizes I can't handle that that I'm not in a position to deal with what I'm praying about. Sometimes God says yes, sometimes God says wait, sometimes God says no. Do you remember the Apostle Paul, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, that a thorn in the flesh had been given to him because of the abundance of revelations. He said, lest you be exalted above measure. So here's the Apostle Paul dealing with this thorn in the flesh. A lot of questions as to what that thorn in the flesh was. Some type of physical malady. Was it the Jewish Judaizing teachers that were wrecking havoc upon him and trying to undermine the church and the gospel system? But here's the Apostle Paul and he said, Look, three times I prayed to God about this situation. What was it God said? God said, in effect, no, I'm not going to remove that thorn in the flesh. But my grace is sufficient for you. 
Now, having said that, let's look at Isaiah chapter 26. Isaiah said, beginning in verse 3, You will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. And then he said, in Yahweh, in the Lord, is everlasting strength. But note he prefaced that by saying this, Trust in the Lord forever. Do you trust God? Do you trust God with your life? You know, in a sense, as parents, our children are placed in what we might call a custodianship. We are stewards of their welfare. Well, the fact of the matter is, as a child of God, I place my life in the hands of God, don't I? Peter talks about committing our souls to Him who is a, listen to him, faithful creator. So I'm putting my life in the hands of God and I'm trusting that whatever I face in this life, God will be right beside me all the way. Now you think about these people, they're going to be in a distant land. They're going to be in captivity for 70 years. They're going to begin to question a lot of things. And what the prophet is saying is, listen, you need to understand something. The Lord's going to be with you. And those who trust in the Lord, those are the ones that will make it. Listen again to what the prophet said. Look again at chapter 40. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I want to just close by saying this. And I'm not saying that I've got it all figured out because I don't. And that's not saying that I don't have any troubles in my life or problems that I face because the fact of the matter is I do, just as you do. But learning to wait on the Lord, learning to put my trust in Him is sometimes a very difficult thing to do in life. And you know why that is? Because we want control, don't we? I mean, don't you feel better if you are in control of the circumstances? Don't you like to think that you've got everything all worked out and everything's just going to fall into place? Don't you, don't you think like that? But when things don't necessarily work out and don't fall into place, then what? And that's why Isaiah said we have to learn to wait on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. Are there things that I learned from that? Yes, I learned to have the right perspective. I learned something about the importance of patience. I learned something about prayer. That prayer is not some magical formula, but rather I'm praying to Jehovah God and I'm placing the circumstance or situation that I'm facing, I'm placing that in the hands of Almighty God. 
And then the peace that I derive from all of this is knowing it's in God's hands. I put my trust in Him. Whatever happens, happens. As Job said in the long ago, though He slay me, yet will I trust Him. Learning to trust Almighty God. I think really that was the message of that was the message to Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. When God said to Paul, listen, I want you to learn to depend upon me and me alone. Sometimes that's easier said than done, isn't it? So, what about you today? Are you a Christian? Life's tough, isn't it? Tougher if you're not a child of God. If you're a child of God, at least you have the presence of mind to know that God's on your side. That He will walk with you every step of the way. And if that way leads to death, He'll be there too. If you're here today and you have never put your trust in the Lord and obeyed the gospel of Christ, I want to encourage you to put your faith into action. It's called an obedient faith. Paul talks about in Romans 6, obeying from the heart that form or pattern of doctrine. Well, what would you need to do? Act upon that faith or belief and repent. As Peter said in Acts 2, verse 38. And then be baptized into Christ so that all your sins can be washed away. And then God's going to put you in the church where you will be numbered among the saved. And as a saved child of God, to know that when this, when this life comes to a crashing halt, you've got something on the other side. As Peter said, based upon the resurrection of Jesus, we have a living hope. We have an inheritance. It is incorruptible, undefiled. It fades not away. And he said it's reserved in heaven for you. If you're here today and maybe your life... Maybe your life's falling apart. And maybe you're at a point in your life where you have to question, how did I get here? But more importantly, how do I get out of here? What do I need to do? What are the steps that I need to take to get my life on track? Well, it really begins by turning back to God, doesn't it? Like the prodigal in Luke 15, he came to himself. To realize you have all these blessings in Christ, maybe you've forsaken them, but now you want to reclaim them. Could I encourage you to make that change today, to repent? The Bible says that God will abundantly pardon. That's a promise. If we could pray with you and for you today, we would be honored to do so. And we can leave here together today. We can leave here together today knowing that we have hope on the other side. Won't you come as we stand and sing? When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, the time shall be no more. And the morning breaks eternal light and fair.